It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. It was Gypsy Rose Lee who said, it's not what you do, it's the way you do it. Stripping or writing or talking or just breathing. Do it with an air and never admit you're scared. Gypsy Rose Lee was never on my show, but Tempest Storm and Dita Von Tees were. But to answer the question today, I turn to my guest Angie Pontani, performing at the Nomad Library October 21st through the 24th. For ticket information, go to nomadlasvegas.mgmresorts.com. And for everything about Angie, go to angiepontani.com. And you can follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And Angie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess I will follow up with my question. What do you think about that quote from Gypsy Rose Lee and the the way you do it, stripping or writing or talking or just breathing, you do it with an air and never admit you're scared? Absolutely. I think that really encompasses the spirit of burlesque. It's it's just it's about the journey of the tease, specifically in strip tease. And I always tell people that it's like, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're a stripper, you get up on stage and you do a strip tease. Yes, you do. But what people remember about your four to seven minute performance is how you got there. What was your costume? What strip tricks did you use? What were your great dance moves, your, your symmetry with the band? Like that's what people remember. It's the journey to the strip tease. At the end, it's pasties and G-string for 10 seconds. But that's not what they go home thinking about, I think. <laughs> I'm not a hundred. Sure. <laughs> it's what happens in between. It's that journey. And it is about being fearless and just going for it. Because that's that's the beauty of burlesque. It's the journey and it's the tease in essence. Yeah, absolutely. How did you start on your journey to burlesque? How old were you and how did you find that part of show business fascinating versus any other part? Well, I was wildly young. I was 17 years old. I came to New York and I wanted to be in showbiz. I had gotten into NYU in their theater program and I was studying there. But, you know, I'm not big on patience and I wanted instant gratification. And I was in New York City. Come on, you know. So I got a job. I dropped out of college and I got a job at a cafe. And one of the people that I worked with was a dancer. And he said, you have to come and audition for this show. And I, you know, I, I always loved vintage style and aesthetic. So I had victory rolls and my little short shorts and my little, you know, 1950 slides that I would wear at the coffee shop. So he saw that I had this style. I went to the show and I was absolutely blown away. The show was called Dutch Wiseman's. Um, it was 1994 and it was an underground speakeasy show in someone's apartment. And it was a full blown burlesque show. And to this day, I believe that it was the the best burlesque revival show that I've seen or been a part of. It was scripted from top to bottom. The director had just this wealth of knowledge of the golden years of Hollywood and burlesque. And there were all these bits and comedy and dancing. And I saw it and my brain exploded. I auditioned. I got in the show. And that that was it. Once your head exploded, did you retain any of the brain that would then rely on role models to look at and, and be able to put your act together? Or was it all organic from you? 
Uh, in the beginning, it was organic. And, you know, we're talking about the mid 90s here. So there wasn't an access of information that performers have now. There was no YouTube. Um, you know, I couldn't do a Google search. It, it, I had no computer. I remember I went to the library of film and television at a certain point and I looked up Tempest Storm and Dixie Evans and Blaze Star. And that was the first time that I really saw these videos. And at the time, you could also get VHS tapes of something weird videos, which had all these medleys of their performances as well. So as I started to dive into burlesque, which I had never heard the word before this exposure with Dutch Wiseman's, I really, um, I, I clicked with certain performers like Blaze Star was one of my absolute favorites. Her style was so carnal and yet so innocent. Uh, Tempest Storm, who I ended up becoming friends with as well as Dixie Evans. So I found this treasure trove I became exposed to all these amazing women. And when I did, my brain just exploded even more. It was perfect showbiz to me. It was about having a great time. It was about this illusion of extreme perfect femininity. But yet in burlesque, there's no, you know, there's almost like no fourth wall, we say. The audience is with you. You're with the audience. I learned about its history. It's the poor man's follies. It's its amazingly entrenched in American theatrical history. And I've just been hooked ever since, obviously, as you can tell. <laughs> well, I think an element of burlesque, and you emphasize it, or you epitomize it, is fun. Yes. And yet, I know in the past, there have been periods of time in American history, perhaps in the 50s or 60s, where burlesque was thought of as a, a whole different world. And it was in these kind of musty old theaters and places that burlesque performed at that point. And all of a sudden, then it changed again. From your study, was there one thing that brought it back to where it is today? Well, I think one of the things that brought it back to where it is today is first, I think it was the aesthetic of it, it was kind of spawned this greater interest from the swing dance movement. People really got into it and they discovered these women. And then for myself, I felt like it was this, uh, reclamation of femininity, uh, specifically when I came up in the 90s, you know, feminism was was very much on the move. And there was this kind of concept that if you wanted to be a power boss, babe, you couldn't wear the red lipstick, you shouldn't have big cleavage, you have to dress in a suit, tone down all the things that make you a woman. Burlesque comes around and it's like, Tone everything up that makes you a woman and you're your own boss and you control the situation and you control the room. And, and, and that kind of appealed to me in such a strong way. I think the resurgence had a lot to do with that. It was um, women kind of reclaiming that sexual power and that sexual identity. And, you know, in, in today's uh, renaissance of burlesque, it has gone much further than just, just women. It's a really inclusive art form that is encompasses so many different people, so many different gender identifying people. I mean, it really has created this beautiful umbrella where anything goes. I should point out to our audience that while you were giving us this wonderful explanation about the history and, and the experience and the beauty of burlesque, I was slowly doing a striptease. <laughs> Absolutely. I can confirm that. <laughs> See? And you feel empowered. I do. I do. Now, where did you get, where did you get, I'll use this great term because I think it fits the whole subject. Where did you get the moniker, the Italian okay, stallion? Stallionette, yes. Um, I am 100% Italian from Trenton, New Jersey. 
I, I can hear that accent. Speaking. Yes, you can hear my accent. Give me a couple of glasses of wine and you'll really hear it. <laughs> I've done television interviews where they put subtitles under me. <laughs> um, but I got it. I'm 100% Italian. That has become part of my identity, um, especially when you go outside of New York. People just, they really are in love with the stereotype of Italian Americans from the East coast. And we're, we're wonderful. So of course my friend Murray Hill, who is an amazing comic and MC one day was introducing me and he just said, Angie Pontani, the Italian stallionette. And I loved that because of course, Rocky, the Italian American superhero. <laughs> of course it makes perfect sense. Yes, I'll take it. Oh, you're not so- paying, you're not paying Rocky. Uh, oh, you're not paying anybody royalties for that. Right. No. Okay, good. No, I'm not. Just to make he sure. hasn't come for me yet. Okay. I good. hope he does because I would be happy. <laughs> I just want to talk to him. <laughs> when you're starting to put your act together, and we talked a little bit about role models and how it just you know, your brain exploded when you first saw this. When you start to put your act together, obviously it evolves over time. So do you create more than one performance because of the time element? So in other words, you might have a structure for performance A and then a performance for structure B and et cetera. Is is that how it works? Well, it really depends on the type of show that I'm doing. Um, My favorite thing to do is perform with the band. And obviously when I'm in Vegas, I perform with the live band and that is just the most titillating and engaging performance that you'll ever see from me. I don't like being stuck in a box of pre-recorded music because if I'm really feeling it with the audience, I don't want to be tied down. I just want to fly. So when I perform with Brian and the guys at the Nomad, we fly. And I always say, like, I'm I'm a, I'm a member of the band now because <laughs> I control when you end. So we have this whole unspoken language that I right. speak with the band. I but believe so I-, I believe that Brian is uh let's say Brian Newman. Yes, yes, Brian Newman. just for our <laughs> listeners who may not know. Who yes, is Brian uh, who, who was on the show just not that long ago, a couple of months ago? Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah, and I said to him, I said we have to have Angie on, and he said, "Yes, absolutely." And here you are. Here so, I am. <laughs> yeah, and you perform with him and Lady Gaga along the way as well. Yes, absolutely. You know, Brian and I have been working together for over 12 years. We started working here in the city and then we've done several projects with Gaga together as well. We did the cheek to cheek at Lincoln Center. And uh, she said to me, you know, let's bring in some burlesque dancers. So we cast the dancers in the show. We're all professional working burlesque dancers. And that was super exciting. But we've done lots of stuff through the years together. And it's amazing. Yeah, that's cool that you can work with your husband and who he works with. So it all, yeah, absolutely (laughs) is right. He told me the story and tell me if this is correct, because now I'm going to verify this. When he first went out on a date with you, it didn't work out as well as I guess either of you thought. And then a few years passed and then you reconnected and this time it did seem to work. Well, not did seem to work, it did work. Yeah. It, the first time it didn't work because I didn't realize I was going on a date. You know, he played it so cool. He was so cool. He was like, hey, I got these Mets tickets and I love the Mets. And he was like, you want to go to the game? And I said, yeah. And we went and the, the seats were like bananas. We were sitting in front of Matthew Broderick, but he was so cool. I was like, this guy must get great seats all the time. I, I didn't think, you know, that he'd spent a month's paycheck getting these tickets and <laughs> had been nervous and Set, like set this whole thing up. And when the game was over, 
I said, thank you. And I jumped on the subway and went home <laughs> and he didn't talk to me for a while. And I was like, what's his problem? I had, he played it too cool. He played it so cool. I had no idea it was a date. Did he ever, uh, I don't know if the word is apologize when you reconnected or did he explain when you reconnected? When we reconnected, we did kind of, well, and when we reconnected, we really did. We went on one date probably about four or five years later, I think. And that was it. We've been together ever since. We got married a year later. And eventually we did talk about that. And he said, I was so mad at you. <laughs> I said, I had no idea you can't be mad at me. <laughs> so funny. Now, oh, yeah. He didn't think it was funny at the time. Of course not, of course. <laughs> but now being stereotypically Italian and from New Jersey, not only do you have burlesque on your plate, but you also have cooking. Yes. <laughs> and so there are, you can watch Angie and her recipes and cooking as well. You go to the website. How did you start showcasing the cooking? I guess is the better way to ask it. Yeah. In other words, you've, you've done it. So you knew that yourself. But when did you decide to go public with it? I guess is the way to phrase it. Well, I, I had, I've grown up cooking again, very stereotypical Italian American family. I'm a very good cook. Um, and people come to my house and say, Oh my God, this is amazing. I love this. How do you do this? How do you do this? People are asking me for recipes. So I was just sharing them and they're all things really, um, from my grandparents and from my time in Italy, which has been plentiful, lucky for me. So I just started to share them. And then when I had my daughter, my daughter's six years old now, the first couple years of her life when she was really uh, younger, it was very difficult to work. And I needed a kind of passion project. I always need a passion project. So that's when I started the blog. And that's when I started putting my recipes out there. And it, it went very well. You know, it, it did well. I, I did it a collaboration with Rachel Ray. That was really fun. So it's been great. But that was really what inspired me to do it. I, I always have to be creating something or making something, whether it's a performance, a costume, or a meatball. And the, and so. the podcast as well. Yeah, the podcast came about when the pandemic started and the quarantine started. And I worked with this lovely production company in Australia called Giant Panda King for years. They would bring me over there for tours. And they reached out to me and said, you know, we're all quarantined. We, we're trying to create some stuff. We want to produce a podcast and we think you're the person, perfect person to do it because, you know, you've been around since the beginning of the Neo. You know, a lot of the legends like the Dixies and the Tempest. Tempest, I was going to interview her. Unfortunately, she passed before I had a chance to do that. But um, that's how that came about. And that was an amazing experience. I really got to do some great interviews. So symbolic of the 21st century. These guys are in Australia Absolutely. and you're here and you make it work. Absolutely. I learned a lot. It, it just seems that, as you said, you have this creative spark and you always have to fill that passion project. In addition to cooking and the podcast and your work, what's next in terms of any interest that you want to put together as an extension of what you do? You know, it, it's it's hard to say. I have my hands full right now doing the show in Vegas with Brian and the band and all the amazing guest stars has been really artistically inspiring I, for all of us, but especially for myself. And I really have such an amazing time out there. It, it's made me want to perform more in the proper environment. So I'm really focused on getting out and doing that more because it really just feeds your soul, you know, but I got to get back on my blog. <laughs> it's hard. I spent it's, the last year being at, uh, it's at home. It's a lot teacher. of work and you have a kid. So yeah, yes. it, it's, it's, yes. it's a lot of work. A lot. Now she's old enough to understand that you're in show business. 
Oh, 100%. Right. Yeah. So she gets a chance to see mommy perform at some point along the way, I would think. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. She's convinced that she's in show business. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you come to Las Vegas, and you've been here many times, and you won an award here, too. What's your favorite Las Vegas experience, or maybe you have two that you that you remember and that stick in your brain all the time? Oh, I've had so many amazing Vegas experiences. You know, when I really started to, I guess it was about 2010, I became very close with Dixie Evans. And Dixie Evans started the Miss Exotic World pageant, which later became the Burlesque Hall of Fame. And Dixie and I became very close. And I had just so many amazing experiences out there with her. I think one of them was just going to the Liberace Museum, which still existed at that point, with Dixie Evans. And that was just for me to, I was like, I'm in Las Vegas. I'm at the Liberace Museum. I'm with Dixie Evans. This is so wild, you know? <laughs> and I think another one that when I look back on it now, it, it it's so amazing. To, I always end up in Las Vegas. One of my first big gigs was right after September 11th. We were supposed to open at the Venus Lounge, I think on like September 15th or something like that. Um, my sisters and I, we had a dance troupe at the time called the World Famous Pontani Sisters. Then obviously September 11th happened and we couldn't get out there. All the flights were grounded. New York was, you know, in chaos. Vegas was pretty crazy as well at that time. And I remember just thinking it, it wasn't about what I thought was going to be this big career break for us. Cause I was like, we're going to get to Vegas. It's going to be this amazing career break for us. We're playing Vegas at that point. It just became about, we have to go. We can't stop. We have to keep moving. We are going to get to Las Vegas. So we ended up renting a car because you couldn't fly. We went down to the Jersey shore, got a car there. We drove across country during this, crazy time in American history, right? And we just drove right through the heartland, right into Las Vegas. And we played the Venus Lounge for a month. We lived in the Venetian. And it was such a crazy time in Las Vegas as well, because it was all locals. And there was hard, we would, the, the hotels were empty. The shows were empty. There was maybe like 15 to a dozen people in there, a couple bartenders working, but it was such a poignant moment in time. So to have been there and gone through that and then to be back now with the show where Vegas is thriving and entertainment is thriving. It's just it's just it's it's full circle. And I don't speak that 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 period of time, you know, in, after September 11th was not the performances were not negative or down. It was just very poignant to be right. there at that moment, right. you know, and so to come full circle now back in Vegas again is just it's it's very triumphant and it's uh it's, it's very heartwarming to see it now and ironically coming out of covid and yes. reopening <laughs> so you're back for the reopening which is which is the best way to do it you mentioned yes. liberace and i couldn't help think conceptually in a thinking back on his act etc in a way he was a, a burlesque performer wasn't he a hundred percent burlesque is about satire it's about irony it's about it's a mockery of itself in a sense because it's so over the top, but yet it is backed up with phenomenally talented people. So I do think Liberace is absolutely 100% burlesque. And he would take off the fur coat and yes. put on a different, <laughs> yeah. So that's all part of it. Artist. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking about it. Have you mentored any burlesque performers? Because you've been in it now for a while, obviously, and you've learned the ropes and you you have your own style, clearly. And I like the fact that it's still around because, again, I refer to that 30, 40 years ago when it wasn't 
perceived in a certain way, and now it's a, it's a it's a whole different world. So, yeah. are you, are you mentoring any any burlesque performers, or do I they come do. to you for advice? Maybe that's a better way to ask it. Yes, absolutely. Performers write me a lot for advice. People will send me their videos and ask me to review them and give them feedback. When I tour, I typically will put classes into my appearances as well. So if I'm in Chicago, I'll perform and then the next day I'll teach a workshop. And I, I, I love to do that because I think it's very important. And I was so lucky. Again, I go back to Dixie and Tempest and even Blaze Star. I had correspondence with Blaze before she passed because she sanctioned me to do one of her performances with the smoking couch and the, the djembe drum. So I really did get advice and tips from these women about performance and about, you know, the most important thing is how you walk on the stage and how you end your act, you know? So it was like, you always have an entrance and you don't pick a song that fizzles out. You have to give them something to remember you by, you know, but just so many tips that they would give me about costuming and fishnets and makeup and hair. And I'm always thrilled to, to pass that on because I think, what what I've learned in my 20-something year career is great, but there are gems. I mean, those are gems. Are you still working on new elements of the act or other acts to complement the ones that you have? Because we talked earlier about having routines, and you have maybe A routine, B routine, C routine. Are you always working yeah. on either modifications of the ones you have or even a new one or both? You know, once, once I get a routine and I get it to the plate, you know, it takes me a, a couple months to put something together from top to bottom. And then when I perform it at first, it's kind of almost like workshopping it because you practice something at home. It's a lot different than when you get on a stage in costume with the lights. So after I'm on stage, it takes me a couple of months to sort that out. Then I've got my A routines that are like, you know, if I'm Bon Jovi, it's my living on a prayer. Like those, I'll keep them forever. They're always in my repertoire. I always throw them out. I'm always working on new costumes because I think as a performer, you can, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, you can get in a bit of a rut. And then sometimes I, I lose the, the passion in my step. So I always try to come up with a, a, a new act, a new song, a new movement, just to keep it fresh for myself. Because when it's fresh for me, that's when I have the most fun. You talked about the folks in Australia and, and working with them. And I thought about this. So you're the perfect person to ask, will burlesque be part of the future streaming universe or is it better live or do they coexist? I believe that burlesque is best when served live. So much about the energy of a burlesque performance is the relationship that the performer has with the audience. Uh, it's why I think our show at The Nomad is so magical because an intimate room in the proper setting really sets this show on fire. And I believe that live, in person, feeding off the energy of the audience, the energy of the band, the energy of the other acts, that's when you really get an amazing show. You know, during the pandemic, there were a lot of streaming shows and they were really fun and enjoyable. And I think it's always a great option to have. If someone in Australia wants to watch a show in New York, they can stream it live, but the magic happens when you're live. No doubt about it. You mentioned something too about the intimacy of the room at the Nomad Library. And I was just thinking from your point of view as a professional burlesque performer, is there a room that's too big? And if you get an offer, you say, you know what, it's just too big for what I perform or present. You ever get into that situation? 
You know, I have done a couple shows that are in arenas and that has been very challenging because you can't really see the audience. There's a separation between you and them. There's thousands of people out there and itty bitty you on stage. You know, I, I barely say no to anything, Ira. I, I just love to be on stage. The more the merrier. But in my personal opinion, I feel like 500 and under is the perfect capacity for a burlesque show. And I love a theater, but it should have a runway because you want to get amongst the audience and, and just share that energy. You know, people get a little nervous if they're not familiar with burlesque. And I think once they start to see the show and they have fun and you just kind of break that seal and get out there a little bit among them, I mean, you're still up high, <laughs> but it's just this energy and it brings the, the audience in. And I think the, the problem with the arena, too, is not only are you a little stick figure, but then you have these big monitors that will show you up close, but it's not three-dimensional because you're right next to them in three-dimension, but you're small because it's an arena. Absolutely. So, yeah. I felt like I was this big, and I saw giant me on the screens, and that I kept getting distracted. <laughs> <laughs> but I, did, I just felt like I was dancing alone in, in a warehouse. <laughs> And you can't hear the same. It's not like you can't hear the same. You hear like a hum of applause or just this general ensemble of screaming, but you don't hear, you know, I love you, Angie. Oh, that's Andrea. You know, it's just this giant thing, which is amazing. Listen, I'll never be upset about playing an arena. Oh, no. Listen, especially for the money. <laughs> when you perform, is there ever a case where because of the nature of the, the venue, you just unfortunately don't have Brian and the guys with you and you don't really have access even to a, I don't know, a trumpet player or a pianist. You just have maybe tracks. Is that occasionally a situation that you have to deal with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I perform with tracks a lot, especially here in New York. Most of the shows are shows with tracks. And, you know, I still have a great time. I, I just did the New York Burlesque Festival a couple of weeks ago at Sony Hall, which is a beautiful venue. And that was all tracks. And I had a ball. But if I had my way every day, I would always be playing with Brian Newman. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It saves costs too, because... Well, yeah. yeah. And you know, I've been playing with this band for so long. You know, When you first start to play with live musicians, you get nervous because it is a simpatico relationship if you really want to do it properly. So it's, it's a little bit intimidating. But I've known all these players for so long. I... I don't feel that way. So it's very easy for me to just jump in there. And again, living out my dream of being like, I'm with the band. <laughs> and they know where you're going in the performance and you know where Absolutely. they're going. And they're professional magicians, magicians, oh, yeah. they're professional <laughs> musicians and uh, well, magicians too. And, yes. and, but they can follow if all of a sudden you decide to change something slightly because you're oh, feeling completely. it a different way. Why not? Oh yeah, they. If I want to keep going and going, they just stay with me. And when I want to end it, I know how to end it. And I'll often end it with this giant pasty twirl, and we just bam, 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 and I jump up and down, and the song's over. And I keep it. <laughs> now, before I let you go, the profound question of the hour, which is, we talked a little bit about the future of burlesque, and clearly, it's it's very popular now too. Do you see, looking forward 10, 20, 30 years, will burlesque still be with us? And do you plan to be in burlesque 10, 20, 30 years from now? You know, if you had asked me this question 20 years ago, I would have said, no, it's just a trend. It's just this passing niche form of entertainment. 
But now, uh, 20-something years later, I say, absolutely. I do believe that burlesque will be here in 20, 30 years. I think it will always have an air of underground. It will always have that niche element. But it speaks to so many people for so many different reasons. And, you know, as I spoke about in the beginning, burlesque has this huge, huge roots in American history that people don't know about. Because as you said, you know, in the late 50s, 60s and 70s, uh, people started to think of burlesque as this seedy entertainment. It's strip clubs. You know, it's not it's not a real theater. But they're so wrong. You know, burlesque survived the burlesque houses on Broadway survived the Great Depression when the Broadway shows were shutting down. You know, I always say it's like it's the poor man's follies. There's no fourth wall. Dixie used to tell me, oh, women used to come to our shows all the time. They loved it. It was for everybody. Comedians like Red Buttons got their star in it. There was so many stars that came out of it. So jazz music, jazz music and burlesque, were, they were best friends, you know. So you have all these huge things in American theater that are so well known and regarded so highly. Burlesque is one of those things. And we're starting to learn more about that. Books are coming out about it. It's a great history. But I believe, yes, it will be here. It will probably keep changing, you know, the styles, the influences, the performers, the way it's done, where it's done. But I do believe it will still be here. Will I be a part of it? Oh, <laughs> I didn't think I'd still be a part of it now. It's going to be hard to get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a yes, you'll do it. And if you yeah. change your mind, you'll change your mind because that, that's yes. your choice. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Angie Pontani. She's performing at the Nomad Library, October 21st through the 24th. For ticket information, go to nomadlasvegas.mgmresorts.com. And for everything about Angie Pontani, go to angiepontani.com and follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And Angie, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ira. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.